happy. So glad that you all are with us. Rather than, oh, somebody, there's now eight of us in this room. But we're excited that you're joining from home. Because the scripture says that wherever two or more are gathered in his name, he is in our midst. And so he is with us. Because gathered in modern times means all kinds of new and exciting things that we're learning about tonight. So let's open the word of God. Let's come and feast and learn from the Lord. Open your Bibles, because I know that you paused the live stream already and you went and got them. So open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 5. It says this, clothe yourselves, all of you. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty right hand, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So tonight we're going to talk about humility, which given our circumstances, locked in our homes, trying to avoid other people, um, is a pretty timely subject. And this is something that God put together long ago. We planned out the Lenten series long before the coronavirus was something that was going to affect our daily lives. Um, But he knew what he was doing. Do you notice the song just now? It's your breath in our lungs. It's your breath in our lungs. What's this thing we're fighting? It's a lung disease. It's a breathing problem. Jesus, come. Be the breath in our lungs. Let's come to him in prayer. Father God, come and breathe in us. Come and breathe through us. You breathed life into Adam at the very beginning. You could have spoken it or done it any number of other ways, but instead you blew in his nostrils and he lived. And so come, Lord, and breathe in us. Your spirit, your life, your truth, your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, So if we're going to talk about humility, we should probably define what that means. Because when you say humility it conjures up all kinds of images. Images usually in the negative, if you've ever noticed. You mentioned something that's humble. It's a lot easier to picture pride than it is humility. So I've found a definition that I love. This is by a guy named Philip Brooks, and I'm going to throw it up here for you. It says this, The true way to be humble is not to stoop until you are smaller than yourself, but to stand at your real height against some higher nature that will show you the real smallness of your greatest great what the real smallness of your greatest greatness is. And so you stand up at your full height. 
Okay, I'm about five, oh, actually I'm wearing shoes this time. So um, I'm six feet tall, and if I stand up at my full height, I'm slightly taller than some other humans. I'm slightly shorter than other humans. And we love to look around and say, yes, okay, this is how I measure up. And we miss the fact that there's a toe of God that I can't reach the nail on. And I'm arguing over how big I am. And so humility starts by us saying I, this simple phrase. It's simply this. I am not God. You are. So you're sitting in your living room, you're gathered around some screen of some kind, say it with me, I am not God, you are. One more time, ready? I am not God, you are. And this acknowledgement that we are not God is the first step to saying, okay, I am pretty proud of myself. I'm pretty arrogant. Um, so I want to take you on a quick journey through the universe. We're going to start by what the ancients used to be able to see. We have a galaxy that we're in the middle of. Actually, we're not in the middle of it. We're on the, one of the outer spiral arms of the galaxy called the Milky Way. The Milky Way got named a very, very long time ago. The reason it was named is because it was a stripe of white. You could see all these stars in a stripe as that, that were significantly brighter and significantly more dense than the rest of the sky. And the ancients would look up and they would be able to to, to, to look out there and say, for some reason, there's a whole lot more stars in that stripe. So I want to sh show you a picture really quickly of what the Milky Way looks like from planet Earth. There you go. It's partly clouded, partly bright. Um, clearly, it's an incredibly complex structure. And so the ancients looked up and they saw it called this the Milky Way because it looks like milk in the sky. Um, what the ancients couldn't see is what the Milky Way looks like if you model it so if you look at it from the cosmic perspective, here's a new picture for you. It looks like this. It's a spinning disk. And if you look really carefully at your screen, the sun is about halfway down the bottom disk. It's hard to see, but you can guess where it is. You can figure out where it is. And the fascinating thing about that is that because we're on one side of it, instead of smack dab in the middle, it, when you look towards the galactic center, it's bright and you can see it. When you look the other direction, it's dark and you see stars. Fascinatingly, God put the planet Earth in exactly the right position in the Milky Way to observe the rest of the universe. And when he first put humans on the Earth, he said, I want you to do this. You're not God, but you have a certain role. You're going to name all the animals. You're going to come up with names for them. And God actually brought the animals to Adam and to find out what Adam was going to name them. There was incredible dignity in there, but they weren't God. They didn't create the animals. They were just naming them. But that invitation is to go and explore the creation. That invitation is to come and check out what God has made. So if you zoom out, you get this galactic view. With our tiny planet invisible, literally invisible, even the sun is invisible at this scale. Um, the, what you're looking at on the screen right there is about 100,000 light years across. And just so you know, in 1977, we launched a space probe, which is both the fastest and the furthest thing that we've ever thrown out into space. And since 1977, we've managed to move it 16 light years, sorry, 16 light hours from Earth. So the furthest that we've ever traveled 
unmanned, obviously. But the furthest we've ever traveled is only 16 hours in a journey that for the galaxy is 100,000 light years. So the scale of this is absolutely mind-boggling. But there's more, because the universe is a lot bigger than the galaxy. So in the last couple decades, we've been able to map the universe in a way that's never been possible before. And we discovered that the Milky Way galaxy is part of something called a supercluster. We'll throw that up on, on your screen so you can take a look at it. This is, a, just, you know, this is an image that haunts me. Linnea is a Hawaiian word. It means infinite heavens. And if you look on the right side, there's a tiny red dot. That tiny red dot completely obliterates our whole galaxy. Every pixel on this is a bunch of galaxies. So this is an absolutely mind-blowingly big thing. The ancients, when they looked up in the sky, didn't know this existed. This is a new name because we only just discovered that we're part of this. We keep discovering how tiny we are in the context of the universe. So this is Linnea Kia, the Hawaiian for infinite heavens. And we're, again, way off in the corner not in the center. Um, but I learned something fascinating as I was reading recently, which is that the universe, which contains a whole bunch of these superclusters, this isn't even zoomed all the way out yet, um, the universe has to have this much matter in order to work. The matter in the universe actually acts as a conductor, as a catalyst for atomic explosions. What that means is that the only way that the sun burns, the only way that the stars light up, the only way that we have heat and light and warmth, and everything that lives on Earth, the only way that that's even possible is for the matter in the universe to actually be exactly the amount that it is. So in order to sustain life on Earth, the universe has to be the size that it is. I have no idea if there's life on other planets, nor does the scripture address that, because the scriptures are designed to teach us meaning from there, from outside of this universe, from the creator of this universe, from the one who said, I not only know how it all works and how it all fits together, but I can tell you what it means. So let's dig into this passage. Now, actually, before we do that, we're going to take a tiny journey as well. The reason that everybody's home right now, the reason that there are seven people in this room, or eight, instead of all of y'all, is because of this. On your screen, you can see the, this is the coronavirus. In orange, colors have been added later, obviously. But in orange, this is the tiny, tiny thing that you can't see with the naked eye, which is causing all of us to be social distancing from each other in the hopes that we don't get sick, in the hopes that... It's still God's breath in our lungs that we can continue. And the Lord built all of this. The Lord designed this universe. And so when it says to, to do this, it says, humble yourselves. This is in verse 6 and 7. The scripture says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And it's really hard to get your mind around it, but in the cosmic scale of the universe, in the size of the planets, in the superclusters, in the galaxies, God is paying attention to you. He's paying attention to you right now. 
I can't see you. You're on the other side of a screen. You could be wearing anything you want. You could have showered today or not. You could be holding a Bible in your hand or you could be doing something totally different. I have no idea. But the Lord is present in every home. The Lord is present in every thought. So I want you to do something fun. We can't do this when everybody's gathered, so I figure we should do something that we can only do if everybody's at home. Um, Find somebody else. If you're watching alone, you can do it to yourself. If you're watching with somebody else, I want you to try this. Find somebody else's head. You've already infected each other because you're in the same house anyway. Um, Find somebody else's head and see if you can count five hairs. Take a minute. Maybe your hair's long enough you can do it yourself. Maybe you can reach up and, and do this on top of your head. But see if you can count five hairs. And I want you to physically do this. Yes, Pastor Marcus, you have to do this. Okay, I think I've got two or three. But I want you to do this, and I want you to pay attention to what it feels like. When I had my wife doing this for me this morning, no, not all my hair, it's just five. Um, I I made me cringe. I, I, I sort of like, was no, this is not a comfortable feeling. But in the book, um, in the Gospels, in two of the Gospels, Jesus actually says that the hairs on our head are counted. So while he's in charge of superclusters, while he's in charge of galaxies, while he's figuring out, while God is implementing gravity on a moment-to-moment basis so that we don't float off the ground, while he's keeping our cells together, he also has knowledge of the hairs on our heads. They're all counted. They're all accounted for. Now, in my opinion, and... this is just my opinion, that is a colossal waste of time, right? Think about it. Who needs to know this? It's a constantly changing number. It's not something that's stagnant. It's not something that means anything. It literally is a waste of time. But God says, you matter enough to me that I'm going to know you that well. So how does this have anything to do with humility? Yes, I get it. I'm smaller than the universe. Um, I don't understand the coronavirus, and it's tiny, and I can't see it, and all kinds of things. So I want to go back to this verse. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. It says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And I would like to offer you this tonight. I think that one of the ways that we can understand this verse is that humility is difficult because humility has to be specific. If you've ever been humbled in your life, you know that it was in response to something specific. And we don't do well with being humbled in a general way. Yes, we can look at the stars. Yes, we can feel small. But we don't, it doesn't tend to influence our lives. The way that we are humbled is when you cheated on that test in school and you got busted. When you lied about something and somebody found out about it. When you stole something, somebody found out about it. It's often because somebody found out about it, right? But it's always specific. When we are humbled, it is specific. And so how do you, in a general level, humble yourself? If the only way to be humbled is to have something specific that you go, I just realized I'm not as big as I thought I was. And I think that this verse actually answers it for us. 
It says, humble yourselves. I'm going to read this a lot. We're going to go over and over. By the time we're done together, you're going to have this verse memorized. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Look at how this works. You have what might be considered two separate commands. You have humble yourselves, and then you have cast your cares. Humble yourselves on one hand, and then cast your cares. And yet, the scripture puts them together. Peter lines them up and collides them into one sentence. And I think that what this is saying to us, and I think where we need to go with this is this, is that we actually humble ourselves before God by casting our cares on him. So I want you to think about this with me, and we're going to go explore this idea. Um, When I tell my children to do something, and they have other plans, and my children are perfect, they're absolutely obedient, they always go to bed when told, they always wash their hands, they always brush their teeth, Um, and so this is a hypothetical example. Um, I have five kids, so you know this isn't even remotely true. Um, but when, when, you, when you tell your kids to do something or when your parents told you to do something, there's that pause where you say, I'm not sure if this adult person has my best interest, knows the right thing, or lines up with what I want to do, right? So you say, don't play in traffic, and the kid's like, yes, but the ball's on the other side of the road. Effectively, that child is saying, I know better than you know. Now, we've just established that God is out in the heavens, that God is outside of the universe. We haven't even gotten to the complexities of God being outside of time. He's outside of time. Time is a creation. By the way, fun fact, the holy books of the Bible, the holy Bible is the only religious literature of any kind that involves God creating time. Every other creation story in every other tradition involves there already being something and God influences it. The Bible is the only book that says that, no, there was nothing. In the beginning was nothing and God created it and he's outside of time as well as space, as well as the universe. And so what basically, the way that this works is that he says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the, under the mighty hand of God, so that he will lift you up in due time, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And so the way that we humble is to simply say, I am not God. I'm not God. I'd love to be God. I would love to solve things. I would love to be in control of things. I would love to have people not tell me what to do. But I'm not God. And so the way that I say I don't understand, I don't have this all worked out, is to take my anxieties, to take my cares, to take my fears, to take my worries, and to throw them at God. Cast is a verb. It means this. It means action. It means physically hurl your cares at God. Why? Because he cares for you. Because Jesus came so that we can be reconciled to the Father, so that the challenge of sin, so that the fallenness of the universe, so that the collapse of nature is one that has been defeated and we are resurrected with Christ. And he stands right next to us and says, my burden is easy, my yoke is light. Come, learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart. Come, you who are heavy laden and need rest, and I will give you rest. 
And so the way that we find out if we're humble is whether we're casting our anxieties on the Lord and whether we know more than God or whether we're willing to be obedient even when we're not sure what's going on. And so the opposite of pride actually ends up being obedience. And so when the Lord says, rejoice in the Lord always, again, I say rejoice. And we go, yeah, when I have something to rejoice about, I will get around to that, I'm sure. No, it says rejoice always. What about when James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you have trials and many kinds. Okay, I'll do that when the trials are over and I know how they're resolved and then I can get around to understanding how it was used for my betterment. No, 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 that's not what James says. James says, smack dab in the middle of it, consider it joy. Consider it joy when you receive trials. I love the fact that this scripture was picked out a long time, a while ago. And it has this verse in the middle of it. Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. We didn't know the coronavirus was going to be affecting us when we picked out this. But it's true. The scripture is all together. But you know what's fun? Is that God did know and God did tell us in advance Do you remember the beginning of January, John Guest got up in front of the whole church and he said, here's a verse. This is the verse for the year. This is the verse for us. It's Joshua 1.9. It's up on your screen now. It says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Why do we not be frightened? Why are we not dismayed? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Where's the limitation on that? If you go to Wuhan, has he left you? If you go to Africa, has he left you? If you go to your bedroom, has he left you? No. But we often feel like he has because we haven't cast our cares on him. And we're wanting to be lifted up now as opposed to in his time, as opposed to with his plan, as opposed to trusting that he loves us. So I invite you to join me with something. We're going to do something. We're going to actually join the church in Kenya tonight. The church in Kenya at the end of the communion service, uh, which is this beautiful interactive service, at the end they, they have the cross, and you can't see the cross, and for me it's kind of straight up in the air, so this will look a little weird, but but stick with me. At the end of the Kenyan worship service, they do this. They take their hands and they hurl their problems. And so the leader says, all our problems and the congregation all together says, we send to the cross of Christ. And then the leader says, all of our difficulties and everyone together says, we send to the cross of Christ. The minister says, all the devil's works. And everybody together says, we send to the cross of Christ. The minister says, all of our hopes. And all together we respond. We set on the risen Christ. And so we're going to do that together. So I invite you, wherever you are in your home, wherever you're watching, stand up. 
And we're going to involve our bodies because we are body, mind, soul, spirit. And guess what? They're all linked together. We don't get to sort of separate them out and just be intellectuals or just be physical or anything else. They are all running together. And so we need to use our bodies in worship. So here's what we're going to do. Stand up. Take your time. We'll get all ready. We're all going to do this together, and we're going to feel really silly. I'm the one who's doing it in an absolutely empty room on video, so you already got the, it, at least you won't be that bad. And I want you to picture the cross of Christ in your mind and picture the things that you're throwing onto the cross as we do this together. The words are up on your screen. All of our problems together. We send to the cross of Christ all of our difficulties We send to the cross of Christ all the devil's works. We send to the cross of Christ and all our hopes we set on the risen Christ. May Christ, the son of righteousness, shine upon you and scatter the darkness from before your path and the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always.